Hey everyone, welcome back to Beyond the Bar podcast. I'm your host, Denise Satova. Today, I have a very special guest. Um, I have Sam Ferrara joining us. Sam is a super lawyer. He's a partner and chair of the Matrimonial and Family Law Group at Meister Seelig and Fine PLC. And it's a new law firm that Sam recently switched to, and he will tell us about it. Now, Sam has a background in economics. Um, he specializes in high net worth cases, really complicated custody issues. But he's also an adjunct professor at Hofstra Law School. And so we're not just talking to a legal mind here today, but a well-rounded guy who figured out how to strike a balance between life and law. Sam, I'm thrilled to have you here. Welcome. Thanks so much, Denise. Meister Seelig and Fine's been around for a few years, so the name partners might take issue with you saying it's a new firm. I'm new to the firm uh, in the last couple of weeks. Big change after the last 20 some odd years with the same uh, firm before, but a pleasure to be here and I thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for uh, for the correction. Uh, cannot wait to hear all about it. Sounds like a really uh, exciting move and, and one that's uh, a long time coming. But you know, I'm, I'm, I'm curious about something. I, I, I know you have a great sense of humor. Uh, or you must have a secret to eternal youth, because according to your LinkedIn profile, you were recently named one of the top 10 matrimonial attorneys under the age of 45. I have no idea how that made it into LinkedIn. <laughs> I am definitely not 45. So um, I guess that was one of the old ones when they transitioned to the new law. I, you know, I, I couldn't help myself. Yeah, <laughs> You do have a great sense of humor. I love that. So, um, you know, I have a two-part question. So you studied economics in college and then you jumped into law. Eventually you became a family and divorce attorney. I know there was a lot in between. So my first question is what and whom inspired you to make that leap from economics to law? And at the same token though, you know, uh, economics is all about numbers and logic. And being a family law and divorce attorney, you're dealing with a lot of emotions. So how do you deal with clients who are highly emotional and maybe a bit unreasonable? So let me see if I can answer the first question. Um, how did I wind up in law? So when I was an undergrad, I had a pretty good advisor. He was in Nixon's cabinet and a time long ago. And his idea was um, that law gives you an opportunity to do a lot of different things. It opens doors that you don't always have access to. So under his guidance, I continued on, got a master's and then applied to law school. When I was in law school, I wasn't sure where I was going other than I enjoyed, you know, sort of being on my feet and reacting or proacting to situations as opposed to sitting at a table and, and you know doing research and writing. I was lucky my first year of law school, I worked at an intercession program. I met some really great people. I needed a job, they needed a clerk. So I was able to um, start working with them. And that guy's name was Steve Schlissel, one of the titans of matrimonial law. Um, in the in these times and maybe in, in the last generation or so, Steve took me under his wing. He, you know, found something in me, I guess, that he felt would be a good mix. There weren't a lot of young people going into the matrimonial field, and and he 
gave me some opportunities. Um, he also taught me, I think, or, or at least got me to recognize that as important as representing our clients is giving back to the community and doing it in a right way. Um, I don't know if I'm saying it the right way, but you know, we're in a high stress business. We we're dealing with probably one of the two or three most difficult times in a person's life. And, you know, part of that is recognizing how to make it easier the next time around. And that's where my sort of education and background um, leads me toward. Wow, what a, what a mentor. And, and that's, that's not easy. So if you have a client who may have, and when I say unreasonable expectation, I mean, they're flooded with emotions, obviously. They don't know what, what's reasonable, what isn't. Um, what is it that you do for yourself internally to sort of remain you know, centered and being able to guide them to some sense of you know, practicality, reasonableness, so they can focus on all that information and ultimately make a good decision? You know, your questions, Denise, are, are really not as straightforward as you promised me they would be. They're multi-pronged <laughs> questions. So I'm going to start sort of at the back end and, and move towards the beginning of your question. And the answer is, from my perspective anyway, um, try and first put yourself in their shoes to the best of your ability. My wife of 24 years said to me 24 years ago, I'm going to do you a favor. I'm going to marry you so that your clients will believe you when you say you understand what you're going through. Um, and it's very funny. One of my, I guess, a colleague now, but at the time he was in many ways educational, um, Steve Gassman, one of your prior guests, used to tell us, the younger generation at the time, used to say all the time that, you know, your home life is much happier when you do this for a living because you learn what to leave in the office and you have more patience at home. And, and I think that's a true statement. So if you can put yourself in the other person's shoes and try and figure out a way to explain to them in a way they understand it's important. And you know, when all else fails, I just simply remind them that I'm not the one that married their spouse or had their children. You know, that's on them and they have to deal with it. You know, sometimes it winds up with a glass of water in the face. Sometimes it gives them a reality check. But either way, you know, it's it's an opportunity for them to be reflective and focus on, you know, where they are and why they're there and that they have to participate in getting us to a resolution. It sounds like you are comfortable being able to put yourself in their shoes. Now, I'm not saying it's easy, but you have sort of... Uh, um, there's a certainty and, and, and confidence. Um, you know, you, you obviously you're throwing yourself into the unknown, but you know what you know, and you have the ability to guide them to to a, a certain outcome. Um, and uh, hopefully, you can you can sort of almost like transfer that that sort of that energy uh, onto them. Well, that's why you know you're such a fabulous practitioner. So tell me about your your recent transition to uh, to this new law firm that's not new that's been around for a long time, but new to you. What was that like, and what really prompted that decision? So the the answer is on that one. Um, I'm not sure exactly what prompted the decision, other than you know when you speak to friends and colleagues. Um, 
and, and the core group of people you rely on, I think, for your, I guess, as somebody says, keep it real. I figured out in my, at least in my place, that if I was going to make a change, sort of I was at that place to do it. I didn't want to be doing it several years from now. Um, and an opportunity presented itself. You know, the, the firm is different. They're city-based as opposed to Long Island-based, which was my prior firm. Um, and they have a different, uh, a different clientele available. You know, they're, they do a lot of the same stuff we did at, Abram, at the old law firm, um, but different people doing it a little bit differently. And it's just an opportunity. And it was an opportunity for my group. You know, I, I don't want to sound um, magnanimous because I'm not intended to be. I moved for me too. But for my group, it was an opportunity for them all to kind of start with a new um, group of people in a new environment and really take advantage of the next stages of all of their careers, whatever that stage might be. Well, congratulations. It sounds like a, a really uh, good, good, healthy move that was that was meant to happen. You know, um, life often, as you know, presents us not only with opportunities, but also with losses, setbacks and challenges. Tell me about a significant loss or setback and, and how you navigated it. Well, so earlier in our conversation, we talked about my first, one of my first mentors, Steve Schlissel. You know, I made a change at one point when I was with him and I joined another firm um, with a promise that I would expand my practice a bit out of matrimonial and do some other stuff to keep sane. Um, and I joined with a group and with a particular individual and mentor, Steve Eisman, who afforded me different opportunities and a different way to practice law and to become a different lawyer or, or a more perspective, a different perspective to my um, practice of law. So, you know, we were together for, you know, pretty close to, I'm going to say close to 17, 16, 17 years um, when he, you know, suddenly passed away in late 2015. Steve and I, you know, we had developed a very good I'm going to use the word shtick out of respect for him. But, you know, I, I used to say to Steve and, and he used to say to me, if the two of us were in a room together, you know, with a client or, or with an adversary, very rarely did we not come out with an outcome that we hoped for. Because if the client or the person didn't connect with one of us, they connected with the other. We had very different styles about us. Um, but Steve taught me the importance of thinking outside the box. You know, Steve didn't have to go through a problem. He could go around it. He can go over it. He can go under it. Um, and oftentimes he was really good at just taking a step back um, and considering what was on the table. He was, he taught me the importance of stepping into somebody else's shoes to go back to, you know, our earlier point. When Steve passed away suddenly, it was a big issue for a lot of people, not just his family. Um, but for me, both professionally and personally, we were, you know, coming to a place in our professional careers where we were starting to run a little bit more parallel to each other instead of in lockstep. Um, and with him um, leaving early, so to speak, um, and that loss, it forced me to take a more assertive, proactive lead role, which another gift he gave me into my career was an opportunity to grow myself. And hopefully take some of the lessons he taught me and use them 
into the future, which you know I hope I've done. Um, certainly his view of the importance of giving back, much like Steve Schlissel, um, and service to the community through the Bar Association, through charitable organizations like Kiwanis, We Care, et cetera, are all things that you know I've tried to follow and also tried to impart on the next generation of lawyers, both my team and you know within the various organizations I try and participate with. Thank you for sharing that. What a what a way to uh, sort of um, continue his legacy, you know, through you and what you do. Um, that is a wonderful way, you know, to to celebrate what what he was about. Wow. Um, you know, we talked about striking a balance, right? What What do you do when you're not working? That's a good question. Um... Sometimes I wonder myself what I'm doing when I'm not working. You know, the, the interesting part of our world, I think, um, anybody's world really, but matrimonial in particular, the advent of technology and, and the inculcation of, of this intense, constant contact has really changed the dynamic of our practice. You know, when I started, you know, they gave us a beeper. At least we got to screen the contact. Now you have cell phones. You're dating you yourself. I, I am, but you know, for anybody who's watching this, it's an important consideration because your cell phones, emails, yeah. um, they don't give you as much of an social media. They don't give you as much of an opportunity to insulate yourself or compartmentalize because you know people expect real time responses, and no matter how disciplined you are, you know you can't help yourself when that little beep or ding goes off. You know, it's you're conditioned to it. I like to exercise. I like, you know, I spend a lot of time with my family, my wife, my children. Sorry about that. Um, I thought like I put right it on right right um, <laughs> You know, it's, it's about downtime, right? It's about letting your mind kind of go a little bit, whether you're gardening or, you know, taking a walk or, you know, just vegging out and watching, you know, some silly TV show or series that everybody else is talking about and you're trying to figure out um, what relevance, if any, it has other than to take your mind off of, of everyday life. But um, it's all good. I don't golf. Well, I have golf clubs and I do swing them, but I don't golf like many of our colleagues do. Um, I do a few outings here and there, but that's, you know, that's for the, that's for the better golfers. <laughs> but you, you, you don't drive the golf carts and serve drinks. No. Okay. Um, hey, what if law was not an option? Uh, you know, what alternate career would you envision for yourself if, if you even can envision, but any thoughts? Well, one good gig is certainly forensic accounting, right? Because <laughs> they don't produce a work product unless, you know, unless they get um, their bills paid, which is a big plus in our world. Um, probably, you know, I love to cook. I, you know, I grew up in the hospitality business. So, you know, if I had it all to do over again and I had unlimited resources, you know, open up a restaurant, open up a bed and breakfast, hire and, and you know, uh, build a good team around you and probably no less stressful than what we do now, but a different kind of stress. Oh, what's your favorite thing to cook? I don't have a favorite thing to cook. I will try anything. I prefer cooking to baking. That's the only uh, definitive answer I will give you on that. 
you truly are, are well-rounded. I, I love that. So, you know, in a final note, let me, let me ask you this, um, because we have sort of transitioned into this virtual world, so to speak, and, you know, you are, you are chairing and co-chairing various committees. So, you know, there's this ongoing debate. How do we attract the younger lawyer generation to actually show up to events? And, um, you know, you, you're a dad, you, ha you have kids. Have you ever bounced it off of them and asked them, you know, what, how could we entice the younger generation to get them to actually show up? And, and if not, what do you think they would say? It's a discussion in my house. It's a discussion, you know, amongst virtually everybody that you come across these days in virtually every industry. You know, it doesn't have to be law or accounting. It's, you know, it's everywhere. It's the, the mom and pop grocery store, you know, convenience store, restaurant. And I don't know the answer. If I did, I probably would be a rich man or a rich person in the consulting world. It's a struggle. You know, when I speak to my yeah. kids about it, we're in their mid twenties and you know, on the verge of you know, beginning their own careers, all they do is tell you about their friends and their, you know, acquaintances who, you know, this person's working in the finance industry and they're not allowed to be remote, but this person's working in, you know, venture capital and they are only remote. And, you know, it's, I think it's like anything else, Denisa, the grass is always greener. Um, if you're working yeah. remote, you want to be in person. If you're in person, you want to be remote. The next generation or the, the up and coming generations are very focused on quality of life. And I put that in quotes because I don't, necessarily know what that means. I think it's different to every person, but they very much focus on this quality of life and using the virtual opportunities as a way to try and I think be more involved in their families, you know, in a world like law where historically it's, you know, high hours, high intensity, you know, long days, limited weekends, limited vacations. I think it's an opportunity that, that this next generation sees to try and recast the mold. How successful well, they are, you know, I don't know, because I think you lose a tremendous value add when you're virtual. You don't have the opportunity to walk next door and brainstorm a problem, or if something comes up, try and find somebody quickly. You're, you know, you're going to be on email, you're going to be on your phone as opposed to face-to-face -face and, and reading the reactions and being able to, and that goes to the practice as well. You know, we are at yeah. the end of the day advocates, whether we're advocating in the courtroom or the conference room, very hard to advocate virtually. You lose a lot of the art of what we do because you're not able as well, I think, to read, um, I'm not gonna say credibility, but you can't read body language, facial expressions, right. that quick reaction when you're looking at six people on the screen, it's very hard to see which one is doing what. And you know, that's a different level of, of teaching and educating and training that next generation of lawyers. No, you're right. It is an ongoing debate. And uh, the, the, the answer is probably somewhere in between and will continue to evolve. And, and it just really depends. Um, yes, is there uh, an element of convenience? Like with this podcast, I reach out people who are out of state internationally. It, it is terrific. But then I enjoy going to, to network and, and, and meet people uh, you know, in person, because there is something that's, it's about energy, the body language. And then also, you know, for the younger lawyer generation, being able to, 
to uh, if somebody put it and said, you know, you really get the the mentors, the uh, the more senior guys and gals at these at these functions, they feel sort of lighter, you know, they're they're out of their office element, and and you have an opportunity to learn from them and to interact with them. Uh, it's very different than doing it on Zoom. So, yeah, it's an interesting interesting uh, interesting world we live in. Um, and uh, who knows where, where the answer is? It's like a day, day by day. Um, yeah, you, but you we could, you know. I agree. You lose some of the personal yeah. reaction. You know, sometimes just sitting around and standing around, you wind up having conversations that take you down paths that ultimately are educational or brings you towards resolution if that's, you know, where you're at. That is so true. You, you're right. It, it is it is it is very different uh, there there are some there are some opportunity and i think what what i'm noticing and also the ability to to communicate effectively to being comfortable to be seen it's almost like when after you know covid and when people are finally coming out to socialize um there is that there's almost a hesitation, you know, like almost like you've forgotten to communicate in person. It's so yeah. easy just to whip off a text, right? So, yep. you know, we don't want to regress. So I think there really needs to be some kind of a balance, uh, for sure. Agreed. Yeah. Um, well, we could, you know, we could we could uh, try to uh, sit here and, and solve the, the world problems here um, and uh, talk life and and shows and, and lots of things so we'll definitely have to have you back sam i don't think that was that painful uh you did oh, great you did. <laughs> you did everything you promised to do thank you <laughs> and it's been an absolute delight uh, to learn more about the man behind the impressive title and really sharing your your insights and, and really how to balance uh your, your profession life and law that's been really enlightening. And to our viewers and listeners to find out more about Sam Ferrara, click on his bio link below. And do not forget to hit subscribe on our YouTube channel, Beyond the Bar Podcast, and follow us on all social media channels. And until next time, stay curious and inspired. Thanks.